welcome to the Recombobulator Lab with Jason Graham Nye and Chris Dominic. Is that Christopher J. Dominic on the other end of the line? It is exactly I. Is that yes. true? Yes, yes. I'm wow. so excited to hear you this week. You probably know this, but just in case you didn't, we got several five-star reviews. Did you Is know that what? right? I did not yeah, know that. I know. I feel really good. I, f- I feel the love. I, I think we can both feel the love all the way around the world. And I, so we should first just thank you, everybody who came and listened to us and gave us a good start this last holiday weekend. And we love your five-star reviews. Please keep it up because if you know people who would like it, please pass us along and please uh, rate and review us. Uh, we love five-star reviews. Please, please, platforms please. Please, please. Did yeah, you, oh, that's did you know that, yeah, I I wasn't even I didn't even know that we were on Audible, but I just noticed that the other no day. No way. So. And we're on yeah. Spotify. We're on Spotify. Spotify, Audible. Mm. I mean, it's all these different um, formats that. Um, yeah, you know, I, you know what? I found it on a gramophone uh, on the old vinyl. It was amazing, <laughs> and uh, it's really hard to play those things because they don't fit into yeah, my CD player no. in my car. The seventy-eight, <laughs> seventy-eight <laughs> RPM spins real fast. Yeah. What the but, it's got that big. It's got that big horn coming out the top of it. You crank it. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. Know, yeah. You know you Australians with your uh, technology. Yeah, that's cutting uh, edge, mate. Hey, speaking of Australians, you just got back from Uluru. Is that what, how you pronounce it? Yes, Uluru is the biggest now, monolith in the world. Don't make me feel too bad, but tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so it's in the centre of Australia. It's a classic, you know, British explorers roll into Australia 200 years ago, wander across the land, find this gigantic rock and decide to call it Ayers Rock. And Ayer was the, he was the mayor of Adelaide, but they have renamed it back to its original Indigenous name, which is Uluru, which is meaning for meeting place. And it's just the most extraordinary story and the most extraordinary thing to look at this. It's a monolith and it's, it's it's like it's landed from outer space. It is hot to the touch. It has mm-hmm. it's a it's a type of sandstone, but there's a little bit of um, iron in there, so it oxidizes, so it rusts. So it's oh, a that's rust. where you get that yeah, look. It's amazing. So sunrise. Oh man, that yeah. thing is incredible. Oh. I mean, those pictures you sent. By the way, anybody who can see Jason's Facebook account or Instagram account can can probably see these pictures. I mean, they're really amazing. Shocking, actually. I mean. That place is looks like a place you'd want to go, maybe go off the grid or something. You know, it doesn't it, seem like that. You kind of have to, and um, and so But what's <laughs> right. what's remarkable is the sunrise and sunset, the changing of this, that the color of the rock, and then in the old, you know, this is an awful thing, but you know, they named it as rock, and then they had us um, white fellas. We were allowed to climb it. So as a twelve year old, I climbed the rock. And, you mentioned and it's yeah. sort of like climbing Notre Dame. It's like, what are you doing climbing on this place of worship in a sense? And so the, the they stopped the climbing two years ago and they've got these great tours around the base. There are areas where you can't take photos and it's just a mm. fascinating, it's the oldest living culture in the world for 60,000 years. It's extraordinary. And it's, you talk of the dream time, they talk of these, the, the, when the indigenous people first arrived and they would walk the land and they would name the things around them and they would come to life you know it's extraordinary and 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 to be really clear back in the day the kangaroos this is true they were megafauna so the kangaroos were like 15 feet tall 
Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they were mega fauna. Yeah. They, they were mega fauna. You know, they were mega fauna. That was incredible. Um, and so um, what was interesting, the story goes when the Indigenous Australians, they walked down through Indonesia when all the land was connected and they came into Australia. This megafauna, the kangaroos looked at these small-ish men and said, what are they ever going to do to us? And, of course, they were <laughs> epic epic hunter-gatherers and they're like, oh, oh, yeah. oh that's what they're going to do, do to us. <laughs> yeah, that's a and big meal. That that's is. A big meal. They all found yeah. themselves on Traegers and Webbers. <laughs> Like 4,000 years ago. Yeah, that's awesome. Double Whopper yeah, burgers, yeah, a lot of yeah. burgers. <laughs> Gosh, that's amazing. Um, wow. All right. So, hey, you know, I thought about your trip and mm-hmm. I looked at pictures of Uluru and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw something at you because these things like Uluru are called monoliths. That's right. They're called monoliths, massive rocks. And I thought I'd just throw this at you. What do you think are the top five biggest, actually tallest monoliths? In the world, starting with number five. Oh what do you my think? gosh! So this is naturally occurring. Naturally occurring. Yeah, yeah. And it's not a mountain, right? Is it a mountain? No, it's, it's a monolith. It's like a big hunk of rock. Uh, in a lot of cases, they're granite in a lot of parts of the country or okay. the world. Yeah. So, so I give think, it a shot. I think you're thinking granite is Utah. <laughs> Isn't there yeah. some big thing yeah, in yeah, Utah? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're close. There's big. Uh, so is there anything around the Grand Canyon? Yeah, semi. Okay. Take a shot. Take a shot at something that's familiar, and I'll tell you. My geography's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What about? um, Well, there's a rock. I know Patagonia friends would climb El Capitan. Have Mm, you ever been close? Now you're onto it. So El Capitan in the United States, in Yosemite, Hmm. is number two. Oh, okay. It is. uh, It is. 2,379 feet. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Or I think I might have gotten that wrong. But but anyway, the point is, is oh, no, no, it's over 3,000 feet over the Yosemite Valley. Yeah, it's it's a big old hunk of granite. It's, a, um, it's beautiful. It's really That's amazing. Awesome. All right, I'll give you a couple others that you might know. All right, so number five is Squamish Chief in Canada. Oh, just yeah. A huge... Yeah, in BC, just north of where uh, you used to live in Portland. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Number four is Zuma Rock in Nigeria. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then three is Uluru. Now, they, they note that Uluru is actually the biggest monolith in the world. It's just not the tallest. It's six miles wide. That's it's true. really, really, really big. So, uh, then, so Al Capitan. And then I, I got to admit, I've never heard of this before, which is crazy considering it's the largest monolith in the world at more than 4,000 feet above sea level, Savandurga in India. Oh my gosh. That's 4,000 feet. Don't you think it's weird that we don't know that? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I know. You know, when we, when we climbed Uluru, the wind on top, it could blow you over. And in the 50 years we were able to climb it, a hundred people died getting blown off the top of that thing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's quite full on. And then what happened? They tested the water. So the rainwater, it's an incredible source of water, the rock. And they tested the water around the base of the rock. And they found huge amounts of cadmium, basically people with cameras cameras and batteries. And they'd throw Mm -hmm. the batteries away at the top of the rock. So they really contaminated the water source, which is one of the reasons (laughs) why they they stopped people climbing it. But 
that and uh, total disrespect for the oldest people in the world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Well, there's that. And then uh, here in America, what we have is people who die by going to popular places and and taking a selfie and <laughs> and like and like falling to their death. That's a, it actually happens. They like lean back over this really high perch, like, check it out. I'm leaning over. And it's like, oh. yeah, I know. It's, kind of, it, it's, it's kind of embarrassing and sad and, you know, but yeah, it happens. And it, it also, unfortunately, really ruins in some ways the whole uh, experience of going to one of these places. Like you'd mm-hmm. mentioned Zion. I think that's what you were talking about. Zion yeah, yeah. And, and Utah. This is an incredibly gorgeous place. And you'll go to, to some spot that you think is going to be gorgeous and Mm. make you help get in touch with nature and there's everybody in their um you know fashionable hiking gear taking pictures of themselves and it's you're kind of like okay maybe i should have (laughs) just maybe maybe i should have just you know watched watched the drone footage you know online (laughs) uh it would have felt more peaceful but uh so okay one last question about uluru is it flat up there is it like one big no What's it so, like? Does it have like peaks and valleys? So here's the thing, and I don't want to blow your mind, right. but if you think about yeah. like a mountain and you've got the stratification, you can see lines of sandstone going up and it's horizontal, you know, the mm-hmm. lines maybe. Mm-hmm. So this thing, the lines are sideways. So what happened is that this rock burst up from the center of the earth up and then fell sideways. And so rather than the lines being parallel with the horizon and its stratification and different layers of rock, all of that's on its side. So it's literally a rock that's fallen onto its side. It's the most epic thing. I did not study geology at school or university, but the guy who showed us around, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. So yeah, it's incredible and deeply spiritual. And when you touch the rock, it is very, very warm. It is the most bizarre thing and it really gives you chills. Like you really get a sense. It's amazing. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm glad you had a good time out there, Jason. That Thank you. Cool. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah. And it was good to get on a plane. Who knew? We had an incredible... <laughs> well, we couldn't... We can't move around in the States in Australia yeah. until recently. And so massive yeah. lockdown and going, being able to fly. We had to prove that we didn't have COVID. We had to have documentation. We had to... We, oh, oh my gosh. Just random side note. Do you know in all of our phones, iPhone, whatever phone you have, there is a thing inside the phone that the airport people checked that could prove where i'd been in the last two months it's in um it's it's, it is amazing i can't remember the sex setting but it was just like this is not the era to have an affair this is not the era to have an affair as you're sitting there awkwardly at an airport with a person saying okay where have you both been in the last two two weeks and you're like uh yeah (laughs) just fyi (laughs) you know there's a oh yeah and so since we're on that uh this is again getting close to work but uh all the cars have black boxes in them basically is that true oh yeah all the new ones do yeah so after the accident you're like no i was only going 35 they're like no dude you're definitely not going 35 i mean i'm sure there's some cars that don't have these but um a lot of cars do so I, anyway. I was amazed. Location. It's in location services. And you look at it and yeah. you're like, oh my gosh. So, yes. Yeah. So, Who I think. Who GPS yeah. was going to be so ubiquitous? <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, speaking of the work yeah. that you do, I have my closest friend in the world. I met him when we were three at kindergarten and we're about both now 50. He had come from a line of lawyers and uh, his father mm-hmm. was a, his father was a queen's counselor a qc oh, and then yeah, be- sure. became a judge and so my friend is now a queen's counselor so deep in the law 
um, works with juries all the time in the British system mm-hmm. that we've adopted mm-hmm. down here in Australia. And I am always been curious about your work because it's it's you're in a slightly different system that that uh, you know when I first met you I assumed you were a lawyer but you're actually not mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. litigation consulting work is a very unique thing I think to America so I always yes. love to talk to you about that stuff how does it work yeah yeah well the, so the quick the quick rundown is politicians have political consultants that help them get elected and lawyers in America have jury consultants that help them try and win cases, right? That's mm. that's basically the simple uh, translator. The thing that's different about the American system from the British system is that the British system necessarily s- produces solicitors and barristers, and the solicitors are the ones who are handling all of the filings and the, um, the it's really their case. But when it comes time to try it to a jury mm. or to a judge, the barrister takes over and tries the case and the mm. barrister sort of oversees it or sorry, the uh, solicitor oversees it. In, in America, we don't do that. We make the, uh, make the attorneys do everything. And there's a lot of things the attorneys aren't taught in law school that people who were trained in communication and persuasion can help them with. Mm. So for example, um, you don't learn in most law schools how to pick a jury, for example. Right. Um, so, but you got to pick a jury if you're going to go to trial, right? So, yeah. um, you don't necessarily learn actually several things about it. It's more you became an you become an expert in the law, and then you figure the rest of it out basically. Mm-hmm. And so we're we're there to help lawyers do basically the part that they always do. But here's the thing that I like about my job: I don't have to worry about what some of my political consultant friends have to worry about, which is just at some point when you got to win you know, it can get pretty dirty because there's not a lot of rules about how you do it. Mm -hmm. And people don't have to deliberate with each other in a jury, right? They just get to go into a a voter's booth or send in their ballot by mail and just decide on their own by what they think. And so we're anchored to evidence no matter what we do. So uh, we can do the best job possible, but it's always within this realm of persuading from facts and constructing narratives and arguments and trying to persuade people who have an active role in this and who have to talk to a group of people in the back room uh, to get this done. And the reason why that matters to me so much is because, of you know, when you and I were talking in episode one, you brought up this Rupert Murdoch thing. And I thought maybe, actually, maybe now's the time to, to bring this up. A lot of people have said to me, I don't understand why we worry so much about propaganda in America. I mean, it's a free country. Why not just let everything rip and people can make up their mind? And, you know, I before I went to grad school, I thought that. And then I had this mass communication class where I learned about the way propaganda works and was really, really surprised to learn that when you do experiments, you can get this what they call the illusion of truth effect. Okay. And remember how we talked about motivated reasoning Mm, before? Yep. Okay. So same thing. So if you hear, this is kind of in the same similar vein, except the illusion of truth effect is some people have talked about it as gaslighting because of a movie where they, (laughs) that involves gaslighting. But, um, but it basically goes like this. If you hear something three times, even from the same source, you're more likely to believe it's true. Hmm. Yeah. So you can see the danger with that if it's okay for people to just say whatever they want, right? Mm-hmm. When you're under oath in court, you can't just say whatever you want. If you want to put an argument out there in front of a judge, 
uh, the judge is going to say, where's the evidence of that? You don't get to just say whatever you want. Now, so the, the real risk has always been in the things that people are concerned about in terms of propaganda, people just saying things three times or 20 times or 20,000 times, and people believe it, and it actually affects their beliefs even when there isn't any actual solid evidence to back it up, which is, of course, the concern. And there are some people who've made this these practices famous, like uh, I think probably the most famous I can think of is Joseph Goebbels, um, who was a, a good buddy of Hitler's during the, the big Third Reich move. Uh, he, he was all into like taking this to a, another level. You know, uh, he said things like, you know, people are more likely to believe the big lie than the small lie and things oh. like that. So, yeah, it's like, you know, evil genius kind of stuff. But um, so before we get to this Rupert Murdoch thing, the thing that I find fascinating that a lot of people don't know about in America is that we used to have this thing called the Fairness Doctrine. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. Yeah, okay, so the Fairness Doctrine was put in place when we had basically first with radio because the 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 government actually owns the airwaves. So they got to determine, like, regardless of free speech, if you want to rent this space from us, basically, you've got to put some sort of fair broadcasting in place. You can't just say whatever you want on the lines. So I looked this up from an article in the Washington Post. Here's a quote. It required the TV and radio stations holding FCC-issued broadcast licenses devote some of their programming to controversial issues of public importance and allow the airing of opposite views on those issues. So when you see people talking about like trusting Walter Cronkite back in the day or Dan Rather or any of that, it's because to some degree, those programs had to anchor their show in facts and provide two sides of a story. Yep. As, as you know, that's not really how it is anymore, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of why we're even doing this, right? It's one of our motives to do this is to try and fill that void a little bit. They stopped really enforcing that back in 1987. Um, and of course, the fear has been that that increases the chance that people will just, instead of having news programming, they'll basically just have propaganda. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've seen any of that stuff online that kind of warns you, hey, take a look at these sources. Yeah. Because some of these sources are not they're really for your entertainment more than anything else. They're not something you should take too seriously. Mm -hmm. Like I was checking it most recently. Um, on the right-hand side, they've got InfoWars, which is categorized as nonsense, damaging to public discourse. <laughs> and on the left, uh, Patrobiotics, which contains fabricated, inaccurate information. So, oh you know, if you like that because it kind of speaks to your truth, again, in the motivated reasoning uh, area, the problem, of course, is it's also probably feeding you stuff that's completely false. Hmm. So, which could make us all look funny. So anyway, back to, back to you. Tell me about Australian Rupert Murdoch and your theory on how he's affected, well, the world, I guess. Well, it's, it's really interesting, and it's not my theory. I just was reading about the idea that wherever Murdoch has a stronghold in countries, the democracy is absolutely at risk. So the three great examples is Australia, where he owns 70% of the media here. Um, and wow. as a prime minister, the first thing you do when you go into office is have a meeting with Rupert. And, you know, he has typically backed uh, Republicans. Uh, his newspapers, The Australian, The Daily Telegraph, 
They are very right-wing. Um, and quite famously, right now, Kevin Rudd, who is a former prime minister, he was a Democrat, so a, a Labor guy, he has just pulled in a half a million votes to get a Royal Commission into the Murdoch impact on our media landscape and on, on the outcomes of our elections. So huge, huge um, uh, impact. And as you say, like if you read The Australian every day, if you read The Daily Telegraph every day, lo and behold, you'll be reading the same sort of rhetoric three, four, five, a hundred times, and that becomes the truth. Interestingly, mm-hmm. in, in, Trump's, in Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, one of my favourite books, not really, in there apparently it says... <laughs> say something, say something three times, and it becomes the truth. So it's the same yeah, thing. So yeah. you've got Australia that produced Rupert Murdoch, and behalf of twenty-five million Australians, I'd like to apologise to the entire world for that person. He's then renounced his Australian citizenship, become an American citizen, built the Fox Empire. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he's a turncoat. Um, now, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Wait a minute. Did, doesn't. Uh, does Australia have a state news agency like the BBC in England? Yes, in- and here's this other element to this, which is fascinating. There are these correlations. Where there's Murdoch, democracy is under threat. Where there is a state-run um, media, the democracy has a chance. And the problem with America is you've got Murdoch full-on, front and centre, mm-hmm. and you've got mm-hmm. um, national broadcast, uh, NPR, National Public Radio, and then PBS. Right the public broadcasting system, both of those right. things are absolutely under threat. And if you've lived in America, mm-hmm. you'll get asked to donate to those things. They are dwindling and dying on the vine. Mm-hmm. The BBC, mm-hmm. so the three countries Murdoch are in is Australia, uh, New Z- uh, America and England. And you've seen horrific, horrific effects of Murdoch in England with the phone tapping affair that you would have thought would have seen his downfall, but alas, he somehow prevails he's got what's, well what's here's what i think so funny about this comparison so and i wouldn't even really know this except for the fact that um my stepmother was one of the original npr employees like really early on i oh. I, don't, I don't know exactly how early right off the top of my head but she told me that they were basically a group of people trying to fill a void which is there is no public radio mm. It's not like the government created NPR. Right. It was a gr- it was a group of people who basically came forward and said, "We'd like to do this. We think it fills this spot that we should have," and then it it kind of caught on, right? I mean, it 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 and it was I think it reached. I don't know if this is true anymore, but I know that during the nine eleven disaster that we had, that was the most listened to source of news for a while. Mm-hmm. It's because I think at some point people were like, they just want to, they just are thinking that that's the the national broadcast. And, you know, yeah. that, that was a patriotic time in our lives because yeah. everybody, well, anytime you're attacked, it gets a little different, right? Yes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's not the same thing as uh, having a, a war out in, in Asia that's because we're worried about a political system taking over, which, you know, was much more controversial, Korea, Vietnam, things like that. Yeah. Um, anyway, though, there's no Fox in Canada so or New Zealand. Is that true? The, yeah, the th- it's a really interesting comparison. Murdoch is massive in Australia. So 70% of print media is Murdoch. We've got Sky News here and then Sky After Dark. Sky News is a daytime, nearly normal show of news. Sky After mm-hmm. Dark is 
so far off the right wing, it's crazy. So that Sky, Sky After Dark still today is saying Trump won the election categorically <laughs> in Australia, right? Oh, so my then, gosh. then you've got the US experience. You've got Fox News, which bizarrely now looks a little bit middle to left compared to OAN. Um, but uh-huh. still, they, they have been the voice piece for the right wing. And then in the in the UK, you've got Sky, B Sky B, same thing with Sky. And, the, and so you've got these three countries, Murdoch dominates, and... Uh, that's impacting their democracy. Now, to counter it, in the UK, you've got the BBC and in Australia, mm-hmm. you've got the ABC. Now, these are government taxpayer-funded radio and television, and they are the voice of reason, and they mm-hmm. they are meant to be as unbiased as you can be, and that's, where you, that's the source of truth. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, yeah. in New Zealand and Canada, Murdoch has no ownership at all, and those democracies, in my view, are very vibrant and both of those countries have very strong national broadcasters so in canada cbc is massive and so i think there's some interesting correlation between where modoc is and the strength of democracy no so here's the thing though what what is preventing murdoch from establishing media in new zealand and canada i think they had in those countries what australia had before which is we had very strong laws around media ownership concentration and over time, mm-hmm. you see, over time, particularly Republican yeah. governments would start watering down those things because it was in their benefit, in their favour to say, you know what, let's water down those um, anti-siphoning laws and then let's get, a, get concentrated media. And that's that's what happens. Yeah. But in New Zealand and Canada, it's like, no, 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 no. One person cannot own more than, call it 10%. And that's where, that's how you get actual fair and balanced news, not Fox fair and balanced news. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, isn't that funny? Uh, yeah, so here's 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 some of the the names that are in the box called nonsense damaging to public discourse. And I say this because I'm going to tell you I have some friends on the right and on the left that have forwarded me articles from some of these. And I to be fair, some of them don't actually mind being propagandists because they're really into their their politics. And they they think they're just fighting back. And, you know, you can make that argument, I guess. Hmm. But for me, I was just like, look, just so you know, don't send me that stuff. Like, I I got no time for that. Okay, so here are some of the sources that have been categorized that way. Interestingly enough, Fox News makes it into that box, just barely. Yeah. Daily Wire. These are all righties. Uh, Breitbart. You've probably heard of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Red State. And The Blaze. The Daily Caller and Newsmax. All right. Now, here are some of the left-wing ones you might have heard of. I, besides the one I already mentioned earlier, the Palmer Report. <laughs> nope. I've never heard of that. Occupy Democrats. I've gotten a few articles from my friends on that one. And Forward Progressives. That's Those are all considered to be basically, you know, entertainment only. <laughs> you know, it's... It's not something that's uh, helpful. And anyway, I mentioned this just because it is such a big issue these days. And there is, as you just recently mentioned, we just had the most secure election in the history of America. And <laughs> there are people still saying that that it was compromised, which yeah. is funny because, you know, one of the reasons why it wasn't compromised very much was because we got an advance warning from what happened four years ago. Right. When a, f- a few major nation states decided to start toying with us a little bit mm. um, and taking advantage of the fact that social media is largely unpoliced, although that's starting to change. But they they figured out that if we just go into the social media space and pose as locals 
and like spread some rumors that people will believe because it's the kind of thing they want to believe, then maybe people will actually believe it. And then we'll, we'll start to mess with, we'll start to undermine the democratic process. Yeah. And it's kind of scary. Unreal. But you know, it does sound like we made things better and it does sound like we're getting smarter about it. Strangely enough, it has nothing to do with technology. It has more about making sure that you have verifiable paper ballots. Yeah. As soon as it's computerized, it's basically hackable, right? So exactly. Yeah. Do you guys do paper ballots? Uh, yeah, we do. And as yeah. we could we could talk about this on another episode, but we yeah. love to death the fact that we that voting's compulsory and it's on Saturdays, oh, yeah. so you can oh, all yeah. go. And there's always a sausage sizzle, and it's you always just, at the local primary. You just won't shut up about the, I the won't. Damn compulsory voting now. I won't. Okay. I won't. Okay. Can't, <laughs> can't stop. Can't stop. Won't stop. Yes. No. I hear you. Oh, man. All right. Well, hey, listen, this is probably wrapping us for the week, but I want to thank everybody again for all the love. It's been wonderful. We look forward to keep bringing this to you every week. Everybody take care. See you, Jason. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. See you, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us at the Recombobulator Lab with Chris Dominic and Jason Graham Nye. Catch you next time. time.